President Biden has authorized another $800 million in military aid for Ukraine. It includes helicopters and artillery. Sources telling CNN the Biden administration is finalizing a deal to send American-made Abrams tanks the battlefield. President Biden is asking Congress to approve $33 billion in supplemental funding for Ukraine. Alongside European allies finally agreeing to the top item on President Zelensky's wish list, F-16 fighter jets. Together with the entire G-7, uh, we have Ukraine's back and I promise we're not going anywhere. What the hell? happened to these Democrats. You know, the Democrats of yore, the ones who would spend hours on the streets risking arrest for the peace and love and no war message that they so passionately believe. What happened to these no foreign entanglements conservatives? Since when did the left become the war-hungry party and the right were the ones that are like, hi, we should be restrained here. Tonight, I'll show you exactly how this flip came to be and how it all links back to our deep state. Tonight, the real reason why the Democrats are all in on the Ukraine war. Oh, it's another fun episode of the Glenn Beck program. Welcome. So I don't know about you, but have you ever wondered like who's really running the country? Now, that's not just a question. No, I mean, it's not something I should have to ask, but I think if you admit to yourself and you're honest, you really, you don't have any idea who's actually running things. Consider this weekend. As the majority of the country was resting on a three-day weekend, beautiful, celebrating Memorial Day, um, Kevin McCarthy was sitting at a table with Joe Biden uh, and all the Democrats holding all of the cards, had all of them. By close of business on Friday, Republicans had maneuvered so well, the Democrats were all but forced into taking several losses on the debt ceiling. Would have been a great thing for people who understand fiscal restraint. Joe Biden was backed into a corner. We had all but one. But let's not forget we're talking about the Republicans. We then saw this. McCarthy folding like a cheap suit from Kmart. It is an agreement, uh, an agreement was reached to freeze the spending for 2024, not cut the spending. By the way, we're at the, we're, nobody on earth has ever spent as much as we're spending right now. Literally, in the history of all mankind, the pharaohs with the death palace, They didn't spend this much. Now, not only did we not cut it, we're going to increase it by 1% in 2025. And then uncapped 2026 and beyond. Now, I don't know about you, but spending is already over bloated for 2024. Biden's build back broke, still pushing forward like a freight train. And did you notice what parts of the 2024 budget is not frozen? Well, anything to do with green stuff and then defense spending. Now, normally that wouldn't bother me as much, but defense spending now includes a blank check to fund a proxy war in Ukraine. A war that, I don't know about you, but 
I didn't vote for it. Did you vote for it? And by the way, um, I haven't heard anybody really debate this. I think we're on the eve of war myself, because put yourself into Putin's position here just for a second. Okay, let's say we decided for good reason that this was an invasion along our southern border. And so what do we do? We got to go take a big strip of 100 miles of Mexico and we just say, it's us. We're taking it now because you've been sending people through. We got to control it. Mexico wouldn't be happy. They'd be kind of like Ukraine. Now let's say Russia comes in at the behest of whoever their president is in Mexico. And he comes in and Putin's like, this is wrong. We're going to help defeat this evil empire. And then they started arming with the best military equipment out there. And they were using it. And then they started to fly drones into cities, blowing things up. And then they said, oh, you know what? With this equipment, we're going to cross and take some of the towns back not the ones that you guys originally took. We're going to take part of America. How do you think we'd react? Okay, that's how you should look at this, because that's what Putin is thinking about us. How did the Republicans turn an imminent victory into defeat? And then pass all that money to the Pentagon for a, a new war. Are they just that stupid? Or, is, or, or are we that stupid? Who the heck runs this country, them or you? As is always the case, follow the money. Follow the loudest voices in the rooms for clues. Lindsey Graham shouted his opposition, not because he didn't want to raise the debt ceiling. Oh, no, no, no. Mm -mm. He's all for raising it. Quote, I want to raise the debt ceiling because uh, it would be irresponsible not to do it, Forrest Gump. No, he's pissed because he wants more money to go towards defense projects, like proxy wars in Ukraine. Now, I find that one interesting because defense spending in this great deal wasn't frozen. And now we have people like Lindsey Graham pushing even more cash to be thrown at Ukraine. Wow, did the military-industrial complex just step in and show everybody who's really in charge? Hey, it's just a question. I'm going to keep asking them, you know, until they're outlawed by this government. FBI starting to investigate Glenn Beck for asking questions. Especially when there are quotes like these one. Quote, if I were a defense contractor, I'd be big time for Lindsey Graham. Oh, now, who would have the audacity to say that? MSNBC? CNN? No, no. Lindsey Graham said that himself. When Donald Trump announced he was running for president on a platform of breaking the old way of doing things, defense contractors opened up their checkbooks and bankrolled Lindsey Graham's attempt to defeat Donald Trump in the primary. So who is it that runs the country? Who is actually calling the shots? You know, this is starting to seem very familiar. This is, well, I can't say that the CIA was involved in the murder of uh, our president, Kennedy, but I'm not not saying it now either because he was trying to take apart the military-industrial uh, 
process and, uh, and try to make sure that we were not going to war all the time. Now, why has the Biden administration been doing everything in their power to escalate the war in Ukraine rather than seek peace? These are kind of important questions to ask, but I mean, nobody's asking. And have you seen how far this escalated over the weekend? The axis of Putin is now offering nuclear weapons for everyone. You get a nuclear weapon and you get a nuclear weapon. Whoever joins their side. Nah, screw it. Peace. Let's escalate some more. Here's another question. After 20 years of nonstop war finally ending, why did our country rush into an insanely expensive proxy war with Russia to defend a country that we have neither a treaty nor any real strategic value for the American people? All of these questions should be answered. Are they going to be? Nope. But they all seem to point to one 62-year-old warning that no one paid attention to. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and will persist. Mm -hmm. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic process. Nobody paid attention to that. He went on to say the educational industrial complex uh, and the scientific industrial complex. Follow the science and we got the teachers unions to help us out so we can make some more money for the defense contractors. Oh my gosh. He described at the time a defense industry that was present in nearly every American town and throughout business through the entire country. He specifically made a point that we have to have a balance between the public and private economies. That is the exact opposite of what the Biden administration and the World Economic Forum now preach. What, you know, when we're spending all this money, you know who's not getting loans at the banks? You. They call for a public-private partnership. This is so closely entwined that they're virtually the same thing. Four years after Eisenhower warned us about the military-industrial complex, the first ground troops arrived in Vietnam. War is just too profitable of an industry to be scared off by some outgoing president. Now, look at these dollar signs adjusted for inflation from 1965 until today. Vietnam won trillion dollars. The first Gulf War, it's cheap, 141 billion. Kosovo, we can fart 9 billion dollars. Afghanistan, 2.3 trillion. Iraq and Syria, 2.8 trillion. The 20-year war on terror, 8 trillion dollars. 20 years of conflict lined a whole lot of pockets and bankrolled the elections of a whole lot of politicians. There is no way that money tree is just going to be allowed to just die off. The lords of war will not accept it. And, you know, wouldn't you know it, another forever war instantly popped up in Ukraine. I mean, how did, really? Hmm. How's that going, by the way? Where do we currently stand in Ukraine? Well, let's start with sanctions. Food inflation skyrocketing all over the world. United States now sitting at 7.7%. Russia 
is inflation negative 0.01%. So uh, that seems to not be working in our favor. Uh, How about these stats? The United States has one of the highest probabilities of recession this year at 65%. Russia, 37 and a half. (laughs) We got them on the ropes now. Who sanctioned who? The United States debt to GDP is 129%. Russia isn't listed here, but want to take a guess whether they're better off or worse than we are? Russia is at 24.85%. How are we doing worse here? Across the board. Last week, gave an update on how many Russians have died in Ukraine. In just one city. Watch. Bakhmut. Bakhmut is a, a discussion about whether or not it's been lost or whatever. And well, the truth of the matter is the Russians have suffered over 100,000 casualties in Bakhmut. It's hard to make up. It's hard to make up. 100,000 dead in one city. Do you think a country takes that lightly? In 10 years of fighting, the Soviets only lost 15,000 in Afghanistan. This war is going to get a lot worse, and it's a lot bigger than they're telling us. When this war was first getting started, the West feared that all the weapons we were supplying Ukraine would be used offensively inside Russia, remember? Well, we now believe Ukraine is responsible for the drone attacks on Moscow earlier this month, even though they super-peaking promised that it never did, uh, not us. Yesterday, it was reported that up to 10 drones were used in a similar attack again on Moscow. Now again, I just want to flip the tables. What would you say if drones from Russia were flying into Washington, D.C.? I don't think we'd take it well. A couple of weeks ago, it was leaked that Ukraine was planning attacks to seize Russian border towns. Now, surely they wouldn't do that with our weapons, right? No, last week, a group of pro-Ukrainian forces that had nothing to do with the war at all, they crossed the border and attacked a Russian town rolling in with American MRAPs and Humvees. But they didn't have anything to do with Zelensky. So what, you're telling me that your people are stealing the supplies we're sending you? Ukraine was quick to point out, no, 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 nothing to do with it. Just a group of random anti-Russian people that were able to cross the most heavily guarded border in the world using U.S. supplied vehicles, you know, and and I don't know how they got them. The tactic mirrors uh, the leak directly from Zelensky. But nothing to see here, no. Who's making these decisions? We're not being told the entire story in Ukraine. It is much bigger than they're letting on, and there is no end in sight. Maybe, maybe that's exactly what they want. Why? Oh, please. You need me to, I'll tell you when we come back. Ever wondered lately why no one in the country now is calling for peace over in Ukraine? Nobody. Doesn't he? You know, the make love, not war hippies of the 60s are now painting their faces like Mel Gibson. Oh, freedom! Yeah, yeah, they're on the front line now. 
Where are the no foreign entanglement conservatives? <laughs> they barely exist on either side. And the media, once eager to find a story about government waste, government abuse, and foreign wars, now playing the role, give me a W, give me an A, give me an R, what's that spell? They squash any dissent from their cheerleading with calls of pro-Russia or pro-Putin merely for asking questions. But last week, something rare happened. It slipped through the cracks. There was this ad. It was included in the print-only version of that day's New York Times. It's an ad, uh, you know, in the New York Times print. Nobody, nobody saw this. The U.S. should be a force for peace in the world. Wow. Now, it was signed by President Reagan's ambassador to the USSR and multiple former military officers. They call the war in Ukraine, quote, an unmitigated disaster. They provided a timeline that showed NATO's hostile uh, behavior towards Russia after the Cold War, making it making a really convincing case that all of this could have been avoided. They pleaded for people to see this war through the eyes of Russia. They used they used to be what diplomats uh, would consider their job. You know what I mean? Uh, that's no longer the case. Now they're all, I want war. And the media is right there with them. It's very telling that the only reason anyone has seen this ad is because they paid the New York Times to put it in. I mean, so is Soros, I'm sure. But did I say that out loud? So the Times snuck it in in their print version only virtually guaranteeing that nobody would ever really see it, okay? We don't buy papers anymore. Eisenhower warned that the military-industrial complex was seeping into every town and every industry in the country, and that includes the media. During the first Gulf War, NBC was owned by General Electric. Do you remember the near-round-the-clock coverage of that war and how glowing the coverage was? Yeah. I'm sure it's a pure coincidence that GE was one of the largest defense contractors in the country. They supplied and designed parts for the Patriot and Tomahawk missiles, the Stealth Bomber, the B-52 Bomber, AWACS planes, the Navstar spy satellite system. Back when the New York Times had a little bit more of a North Star on the subject, they pointed all of it out. They pointed all the cable news networks were hiring former military officers as contributors. Their analysts were always the same. Uh, you know, more war, more war, more war. All of the time, more war. Large portion of these former military officers all had one thing in common. They were all tied to major defense contractors. That sounds like a conflict of interest. Does the media care? No, not one bit. War is money. Cha-ching! And they all have their hands out to the military-industrial complex pockets. If the media was actually doing its job, rather than making piles of cash off war porn, they would ask questions like, did we try for peace? Did Putin ever meet with Joe Biden and try to stop the war in Ukraine before everything erupted? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you heard about this, but Putin did meet with Joe Biden privately before this spun out of control. There was a chance for peace, but Biden, I'm an angry man, I'm going to yell at the sky. So the meeting was private. Did Russia make their concerns public? Yeah. 
week later, Russia made everything public and said that their main concern was NATO's expansion westward. They wanted assurances that, Iran, uh, that Ukraine would never join the alliance. Again, Biden and NATO balked. Why? But was peace really even remotely an option, really? Yeah, well, the Russians and the Ukrainians surely didn't hash out a peace deal before the war, right? Check this out from foreignaffairs.com, written by the Trump impeachment witness Fiona Hill. Quote, in April 2022, Russian and Ukrainian negotiators appear to have tentatively agreed to the outlines of a negotiated interim settlement. Russia would withdraw its position on February 23rd when it controlled part of the Donbass region and all of Crimea. In exchange, Ukraine would promise not to seek NATO membership. Wait, 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 hold it. What? Peace deal? Signed? What are we doing to our economy, to our countries, to the people? What happened? Hmm. Another question. Is it true that Boris Johnson stepped in for the West and told Zelensky not to make the deal? Because that's what the people in Ukraine are saying. Is that true? What entity on this planet would be powerful enough and statistic enough to convince the entire Western world that war was a more desired outcome than negotiated peace? I know. The military-industrial complex? One month later, Boris Johnson announced that he was significantly boosting defense spending throughout the decade. Now, I wonder who else might benefit from all of this. The U.S. and the U.K. are very eager weapons and arms customers. The U.S. weapons exports to the U.K. increased by 15.9% in 2021. Co coincidence? U.S. or sorry, U.K. weapons exports to the U.S. increased by 3.6. Now, I can only imagine what those numbers are now. The U.S. military industrial complex is the largest in the world. It's not even close. We account for 38.6% of all global arms exports. You want to stop guns, maybe you should stop some of them. That's greater than Russia, France, China, and Germany combined. Promoting, fighting, supplying war is one of the largest money-generating businesses on the planet. And guess who's the king of it? Us. Back in March, the Pentagon announced their budget at a whopping $842 billion. It included expanded authority for a multi-year contract for the supply of aircraft, ships, and ammunition. Now, can you guess where the vast majority of that money is going to go? Right? Defense contractors, the military-industrial complex. CBS just did a story that said half of the Pentagon's budget will go to defense contractors. And surprise, surprise, CBS found out that they were gouging the government with insanely inflated prices. You want to know why Ukraine is so important? Listen to this. The Pentagon granted companies unprecedented leeway to monitor themselves. Mm. Instead of saving money, Assad told us the price of almost everything began to rise. In the competitive environment before the companies consolidated, a shoulder-fired Stinger missile cost $25,000 in 1991. With Raytheon, now the sole supplier, it cost more than $400,000 to replace each missile sent to Ukraine. 
Even accounting for inflation and some improvements, that's a sevenfold increase. A sevenfold increase and nobody's talking about it? $400,000 every time a Ukrainian soldier fires a Stinger missile. <laughs> We've been sending them Stingers uh, to Ukraine like candy, box of bees. CNN reported that Ukraine has asked for 500 Stinger missiles per day. That's $20 million every day just for stingers. Now, last year, the Pentagon had to allocate nearly $1.5 billion just to restock our own troops with the same weapon. The war in Ukraine is the fattest cash cow ever, and defense contractors are making record-shattering profits, and it's impoverishing you and enslaving your children. Let me give you the list of the top 10 defense contractors in the country. Four of the top 10 are pharmaceutical companies. Isn't that crazy? Two of the four were the largest vaccine providers. Moderna partnered with the government creating mRNA COVID vaccines. So let's just talk, chalk that one up to, uh, you know, things that are like, hmm, that's interesting. I mean, I could say the military-industrial complex appears to be running the country from everything like pandemic response, vaccines, and forever wars, but we still have a president in Congress, right? When Biden announced his presidential transition team, it was discovered that one-third of his Pentagon team came from organizations financed by the defense contractors. <laughs> You've got to get an honest opinion there. And once he became president, he began filling top Pentagon uh, positions with the latest weapons suppliers. Last year, Biden traveled to Mach uh, Lockheed Martin, the largest defense contractor in the country, to cheer them on as they made javelin missiles to be sent to Ukraine. So who's running the war again? The figurehead in chief, the one that drools on himself in a little sippy cup, or the owners of the companies that are now making billions of dollars. And remember, you remember when Dukakis, uh, you know, torpedoed his own campaign by visiting General Di Dynamics, and he's like, I'm in a tank. Look at me how tough I am. Being in bed with the military-industrial complex used to be frowned upon. Now it's applauded. Or does anybody even know? But we still have a Congress, right? Defense industry investments cover both sides of the aisle. At least 25 members of Congress sat on national security committees, while at the same time traded financial assets with the defense industry. And the military-industrial complex have tens of millions set aside each year for lobbying their favorite politicians. So why is the Biden administration, the majority of Congress and the media, suddenly so pro-war? Money doesn't talk, it screams. Eisenhower tried to warn us, but the military-industrial complex it's taken over 20 years to, to, to come in. Our 20-year forever war is going to turn into a 30-year, a 40-year war. Now I understand the 100-year war. I got it. There must have been military contractors there. There's too much money at stake here. And with the global push for more public-private partnerships, things are only going to get worse. Back in a minute.
$196 billion of U.S. aid has already been sent to Ukraine. I'd like to lay that at the feet of the Democrats, but nah, it's not just the Democrats. Many Republicans are also all in on the war in Ukraine, but not all of them. My next guest says it's time to reevaluate our role in this war because uh, the way it's going, it's going to end in World War III. Welcome, the representative of Florida's 13th congressional district, Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna. Hello, Anna. How are you? Hey, Glenn. Glad to be back on. Thank you. So, uh, first of all, you were one of, I think, only nine Republicans that stood against the, you know, more funding for the Ukraine war, right? Correct. In fact, I actually recently got back from a congressional delegation where we went to Poland. And if I could give you some insight onto the mindset of their representatives out of Ukraine, if we don't put our foot down here in the United States, they will escalate. And I do believe that it will become kinetic and potentially get us into World War Three. Wait, what, what, what are we supposed to do? What do they want us to do? Continue to to fund them and put our foot down or put our foot down and say, no, no more. Glenn, I was in a room and I had these people literally telling us not only was it the quote unquote obligation of every American to fund Ukraine, that is literally what they told us, but they also requested F-35s. And for those who are in the military or know anything about um, our fifth generation fighters, first of all, we would never be able to authorize giving them F-35s, but also too, I mean, Ukraine doesn't have air superiority. And frankly, right now, even if we were to hypothetically give them something like that, First of all, would that that would absolutely escalate and be something that we would advise against. But also, too, I mean, that would put us from a military perspective in a very big predicament because Russia is essentially cloning and stealing our technology. And so that would basically make that aircraft obsolete. Oh, perfect. So um, are we giving them F-16s? I know that, you know, clown in chief said, I'm, I'm, we're not. That would be war. I mean, you'd be crazy. It'd be World War Three. And now he seems to be thinking about it. I mean, yeah, he's thinking about it. And unfortunately, there are members of the Republican conference that are supportive of this. And I actually talked to some of my colleagues, you know, Representative Gates being one of them. And I said, you know, it's interesting because as a member of Congress, one of the things that we do aside from the budget is we have the ability to vote on war. And at what point, you know, with the equipment that we're sending over, does this constitute an act of war? And unfortunately, right. because we are such a small minority within the GOP that feels this way, even if we brought for a war powers resolution, I don't believe that it would uh, withstand. And so what we're trying to do is use our platforms to educate the masses and understanding that this is a very real threat just because it's on the other side of the world doesn't mean that it can't come back home to haunt us. So, you know, I'm pretty pro-America, you know, I'm pretty pro-liberty and uh, kind of down on, you know, commies, Russia and uh, bloodthirsty killers. But if I come out and say, I'm not for this war in Ukraine, which I'm not. I'm suddenly pro-Putin. I mean, <laughs> can we have an honest conversation? You were in the Air Force. You served in our military. What's the difference between this and other conflicts we have been engaged in? You know, I've brought that up and I've also asked some of my Republican colleagues that are very supportive of Ukraine whether or not they were vocal about the initial invasion in Crimea back in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And of course, they have nothing to say to that. But, you know, exactly what you're saying, it seems to be that there's a larger political motivation behind this. And, you know, I said as a member of House Oversight and to kind of 
put it in perspective, you know, we just subpoenaed bank records of four of about 20 banks that we suspect that this administration and this family was really using to funnel money from foreign governments to really become personally wealthy. And we also suspect that the Ukrainian government is somewhat involved in that. And so when we're thinking about really what's happening and how Ukraine refused to join NATO, how Ukraine has refused on a number of occasions to really um, step up for themselves, you know, it's not my obligation to represent and defend Ukraine. It's my obligation to represent and defend America, American citizens and our constitution. And so I think that it's incredibly hypocritical, especially when people like myself speak out who are veterans, who had their husband that was shot in Afghanistan, um, who definitely supports the military, is called a Russian asset simply because I don't agree with the war machine. So, if, by the way, any update on the debt ceiling? Unfortunately, you know, I, as well as I can count on at least 19 other of my colleagues in the House Freedom Caucus, um, we are going to be doing everything that we can to stop this, but we need other Republicans to come forward and voice their opinion on why this is wrong. I mean, I'm sure I don't have to convince you, Glenn, but no. $4 trillion is not a deal for America. Yeah. And ultimately, uh, I think you'll see today that in the last 20 years, it's I'm a freshman representative, but there are people here who have continued to vote and say, this is going to change next time. It's never going to change unless you take a stand now against it. So I'll be voting no. Okay, so there's no end in sight. I mean, because, I mean, they're just going to keep sending money over this, this blank check. Is there an end to the, is there a limit with anybody there in Congress? There needs to be. It seems that there is a little bit more of a shift from more representatives that are saying, okay, we can't continue to fund this. But unfortunately, as you're seeing play out right now with the debt ceiling fight, it seems that there's a lot of lip service and not a lot of follow through. And so hopefully we can, as members of the House Freedom Caucus, use our abilities, um, especially within the parliamentary measures to hold people accountable. And, and we'll really see what happens there. So, uh, you know, I, I started the program today and I said, just imagine if we took some of Mexico, even if we were we thought we were being righteous because they're just flooding our border. and We needed to take, you know, 100 miles of the border in Mexico. Mexico would not be happy about it. And if Mex Mexico is then like Ukraine and we're just doing it because we got to be safe. OK, then Russia calls Mexico and says, hey, by the way, we're going to send you all these weapons. And then they start using those weapons across the border. Then they say, hey, we're using those weapons and the military vehicles and we're coming across the border and we're going to take some of American property. We wouldn't take it. And we no, would do what would be what, considered an act of war. Yes. And if we had 100,000 of our citizens die in one city, we would consider nukes. How, how close are we to World War III, an actual hot war with Russia? If we continue down the path that we're going, if we give them F-16s, and then if we continue authorizing the military uh, industrial complex and funding this war, I do believe at some point, whether it's this Congress or next Congress, I will have to take the unfortunate vote of voting on war. And I'm not saying that as something that I want to say. I'm not saying that as someone who takes this job lightly. I'm saying that as someone who has had the conversations, who literally had the New York Times tell me the conversation didn't happen, even though they were not in the room. I was there with other members of Congress and had their own parliament members tell us exactly what they told us and that we need to fund the war. They want F-35s and it is the obligation of America to do so. Yeah, uh, I don't think so. Thank you for your your um, courage 
uh, speaking out and being willing to stand alone. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Glenn. You bet. Back in just a minute. Now, the media would have you believe that FD-1023 is a cute new Star Wars droid, but it's actually not. It's a document with yet another accusation of corruption against the Biden family, this time against the president himself. An FBI whistleblower says that little droid, the FD-1023, came in and was like, and uh, showed the evidence that Joe Biden, as vice president, was engaged in a pay-to-play scheme with a foreign national. Is this true? Don't know. Is this the character of the president? Probably. Why are so many politicians so obsessed with Ukraine and not really paying attention to anything else? Hmm? Award-winning investigative journalist and CEO, editor-of-chief of Just the News, John Solomon, is uh, here. First of all, John, tomorrow you are going to start putting out the January 6th videotapes Watch yes, out, sir. because Fox may fire. Oh, you own your own place. I guess you don't care. <laughs> um, what do you... It is liberating, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> it is. What is it that you feel you, or you have found, and what, do you, what should we expect? Yeah. We have spent hours going through the footage, trying to come up with the ones that have the greatest public interest to the American public. And so uh, we're going to see security vulnerabilities at January 6th committee. The Democrats committee didn't want exposed. They didn't want you to see some of these extraordinary moments. For instance, while officers were in the front of the Capitol fighting for their life uh, to keep people out of the Capitol on the front side, right, we see some of those violent confrontations. On the back side of the Capitol, you're going to see early next week uh, a, an easy entry door that the cops made available by hitting a fire door, and all of a sudden, uh, hundreds, not dozens, but hundreds of the ultimate uh, people who went into the Capitol go in uncontested by the police through a back door. A massive security failure. We're gonna show you things about the pipe bomber and why it seems implausible that the FBI can't figure out who this suspect is based on what we've seen. Yeah, uh, that's a big one. You've been talking about that for a long time, mm-hmm. and you're right about it. Um, you're going to see the Secret Service uh, uh, taking a certain action that is going to raise questions about their security protocols on the morning of January 6th. Um, we think that you'll also enjoy watching how Nancy Pelosi exited the building because it looks more like a Hollywood scripted moment than an emergency evacuation. You'll understand that tomorrow night. We're going to start with that tomorrow, and then we're going to build each day. What we're trying to do is focus people on the unresolved issues to a person. Every single Capitol police officer, executive, uh, lawmaker that I've talked to says the United States Capitol is no more safe today than it was on January 5th. After going through millions of dollars of investigations, if we can't fix the security at the Capitol, we've let the American people down. Congress has failed at it. So we're going to try to bring these things to the public's attention so that a real fix can be put into place. And we'll delve into a lot of other issues. This is going to be a month-long project. We're going to go slow and steady, be certain of the facts each time. But I think people will benefit a lot from seeing with their own eyes what they've been told not to believe in the past. So, John, I mean, I think there's a lot of good Capitol Police officers, a lot of good FBI agents. Um, I, you know, but I also believe that, you know, there were some dumb ones that were like, oh, yeah, let me help you in. Um, And there's also probably some FBI operatives there uh, egging things on. Sure. Have you seen any evidence of that? 
Um, we do see some undercover police officers, uh, law enforcement. I don't want to call them police because some of them may be federal agency. I think uh, midway through the process, as we continue to report out, I think we'll be able to provide the American public a total number of undercovers and what agencies they represented. I think that'll be valuable to people. Yeah. Um, whether we can properly identify them, we, we think we know who they are. But again, without the help of police, you can't be 100% certain. But we will move, we'll make the ground. And here's the question. If multiple law enforcement agencies had the presence of mind to get people undercover to film and do other things which we now know to be true uh, then they must have known something was really terrible yep. that was going to happen that day that's why there's so many bodies on the ground and yet the Capitol Police don't prepare for that scenario and I mm. think you're going to learn as we watch this that the Capitol Police had all the intelligence at a level down from the chief and it never bubbles up to the chief so it doesn't get operationalized much like 9-11 though very very different consequences, very different actors. The failure to connect the dots at a bureaucratic level led to a completely preventable terrorist attack. This could have been, this attack on the Capitol could easily have been prevented if the intelligence had just been gotten to the right people and a security plan put together. Okay. Why that didn't happen, that's a question for others to answer. All right, so let me take you to FD 1023, uh, that cute little droid. Um, this, <laughs> do, I mean, this sounds like it's not good. The um, FBI will not turn this document over. They've made all kinds of concessions, I think, in Congress to say, look, we'll, we understand we'll protect, blah, blah, blah. Right, uh, right. But we want to see the actual document. They said no, but yeah. we'll tell you in secret, you know, we found some other things. W what's going right. on, John? Uh, it's a game of keep away, which the FBI has been doing for 20 years. I remember covering the Ruby Ridge and Waco hearings back in 93, 94, 95, 96. And the FBI and the ATF didn't want to give up the truth because oftentimes the truth is painful. These law enforcement agencies, law enforcement's not perfect. Mistakes are made. Um, uh, there are political pressures inside the FBI. I think we now understand that the FBI is more than a law enforcement agency. Certainly since the Comey-McCabe years, it's been a political agency as well. Uh, their text messages validate that. Uh, the Durham report validates that. So I think there's a there's a big narrative, which, by the way, Glenn, you've helped uncover early on. You were one of the first people to see the bigger picture here. You have Donald Trump being pursued on evidence that for which there is no basis. There's no predicate to pursue Russia collusion. They do three and a half years of investigation of him. Meanwhile, there are four pieces of evidence that come in in four different ways on Hillary Clinton, and the FBI shuts all of them down in the middle of the 2016 election. That's that dual system of justice that now most most Americans are beginning to see exist. I think the FBI's concerned, based on the people I'm talking to inside the bureau who have direct knowledge, is you're going to see in the Joe Biden case another example of a dual system of justice. Whether the allegations are true or not, we don't know because the FBI didn't adequately investigate them. Why? Because some people made a decision Joe Biden was off limits during the 2020 election. Once again, a dual system of justice. They had no off limits for Donald Trump in 16, 17, 18, 19, or 20. By the way, they could continue to pursue Donald Trump in 2022 and 2023. Yeah. Joe Biden had a protection circle around him. I think the FBI is concerned that the evidence, which is raw intelligence right. comes in, and FD 1020 is a yeah, raw yeah. intelligence from a human source. It doesn't get looked at, and that's what they're most embarrassed okay. about. Okay, so uh, John, thank you uh, very much for all the work. We'll talk to you again. We'll be watching for the videotapes to come out and, and, this, um, and this document as well. My guess is uh, there's a lot of stuff being laundered right now, um, probably 
in Ukraine. John Solomon, thank you so much. From Dallas, good night.